What up, what up, everybody? It's Dari Hunt from Live My Fearless. Welcome back to another interesting to my Fearless Show podcast. Today, date is March 29th, 2020. My guest joining me today is Mr. Bobby Jones. Say what up to everybody. What's up, everybody? My name is Bobby Jones. So we go back. Uh, you know, we go back a ways. People I don't know. Uh, you know, we both played basketball overseas. First met back in Italy. They got dunked on you back in 2000. And ah, oh, that's how we started off. 14, huh? 13, 14, something like that. <laughs> you were in Rome. I was a cop with the Orlando. And then uh, we ended up playing on the same team together the next, the next year. So. And then I dunked on you back. Definitely don't recall that. <laughs> Make sure you have some B-roll of both of our dunks so they can, so they can oh, visually yeah. see. You can find mine on my Instagram page, you know, for everybody that doesn't, that wants to go back, scroll down a little bit, you know, you see, you'll see it. Also, but, uh, my college, your college in, in, in college hoops, too. Don't forget to let the people know. Your college does what? Our college whooped your college when y'all played us head to head. We beat y'all. Not at you do. <laughs> y'all didn't beat us at, at Nevada either, so it's one to one, which is me. Whatever, yeah. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. And y'all was ranked at the time, too. I, I, I just want to remind the people that our ties go back even before Italy. Yeah, it's all right. We got a dub over y'all. Y'all got one, but we got one over y'all. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so you want to hop on and just tell, tell everybody, you know, a little bit about yourself and your journey to this point? Yeah, sure. Thank you. So, like Dario said, we... Met in Italy, but was teammates, played against each other. Before I came to Italy, I played two years in NBA, played four years at the University of Washington, four-year starter, made the tournament three times, Sweet 16, two times, played with guys like Nate Robinson, Brandon Roy, high school. I'm from Compton, California. I went to Dominguez High School. I played with Tyson Chandler for three years. Then my senior year, I went to Long Beach Poly. Uh, that's the school known for like Snoop Dogg, Cameron Diaz. I played with guys like Mercedes Lewis, NFL tight end for like 12, 13 years. Uh, yeah, I'm 36 now, so I'm still I'm still doing it. I'm still hooping. Lasted longer than most of my my buddies my age. And yeah, I'm over here in Italy at the moment. So, so you hooped with Tyson Chandler. Tyson Chandler recently said that he was that the coach Carter was about him. Coach Carter, you talking about Samuel? Coach Carter. Yeah, he said, uh, what's his name? He said Ty Crane or something like that. He said this was really about him. Well, I don't know about that, but FYI, they filmed part of Coach Carter at my high school, Long Beach Poly. Not inside the gym, not that shitty gym. That shitty gym is not my high school. Everything else was my high school, not the gym. (laughs) So just so people know. Uh, But yeah, I I don't know about that. I mean, nowadays, you know, we're a little older, so a lot of stuff can be fact-checked. So I'm just going to say, <laughs> but uh, from my regulation, we did not have a car- Coach Carter deal at our high school. We won a national championship. I won three state championships in four years. I was on varsity as a freshman. So we we did not have a Coach Carter storyline. <laughs> All right. Um, so you said you played in the NBA, but I think there was also something was when you were in the you were in the D League. It was D League back then. Did you get a record for most most cops? Is that what it was? Well, it, the wording is funny. So my rookie year, I played in Philadelphia. 
I got drafted second round, early second round pick. It was the year AI got traded to Denver. That was my rookie year. And then my second year, I started off with Philly and I got traded like literally two days before the season started to Denver. So I ended up meeting, I ended up meeting with AI again, Melo, Marcus Camby, J.R. Smith. It was a crazy team, man. Definitely the crazy team, team ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they they were before the the Heatles and all these super teams, but uh, it was good times, good times over there. And then when I got traded, I had to restructure my contract because the business side, the the team basically told me we restructure and make it partial, or we'll just cancel your contract and you will be cut before the season started. Because I had an exception. If I made it to the first day of the season, my contract was guaranteed. So they told me the day before, like. Either we cut you and you won't get no money or restructure. You can stay with us to December, January, and then we'll make a decision about the remainder of the season. So I said, okay, I had no choice but to accept. So I stayed there till my birthday, which is January 9th. They told me the day of my birthday, we actually played at home against Philadelphia too, my former team. And I came into the office and the GM told me, we're going to let you go. And but I still suited up and I still, you know, I didn't play, but I stayed on the bench and I didn't tell nobody. So I had to actually just keep it to myself because, yeah, it was my birthday. I was playing against my former team and I got cut. Happy birthday, right? Hell of a birthday. And after that, I went to four more teams that same season. So I played on five NBA teams in one season, which is an NBA record. Yeah, crazy. Uh, Memphis, San Antonio, Miami. It's definitely a business. And, you know, I had my little stint in the, the D League, and I'll just say it's not something that I plan on ever going back to. What, wait, what team did you play on in the D League? What city? Rio Grande. Okay, so I was in, so after my second year, after I did all that, I played the next year in the D League. I was in Sioux Falls, Sioux, Sioux Falls Skyport. Shout out to all them. Yeah. And, and, yeah, yeah, it was. This is my. I had to live in South Dakota. It was super cold. Now you said that at that time in my life, the team I was on was a bunch of guys who, you know, basically they, they didn't have the talent to make it to the NBA. So the D League can be helpful or it can hurt you. It depends on your team. The team I was on, it didn't help me. It only gave me bad habits. So we had a bad season. I didn't get any call ups. So it was easy for me to say, you know what, I'm going overseas. If I was yep. in a better city, a better team that was connected directly to a team, who knows, you know, how it would have played out. But that that D-League experience for me was horrible. So I told oh, myself, rough. I need to make some money. I need to go. I was probably in, at the time, definitely, if not the best, top two, three best, you know, situations D-League-wise, team-wise. You know, they were directly yeah, connected, no. affiliated. They, they actually I, put I, money I into the organization. Yeah, for sure. I always and even then. It was like rough. Uh, I can only imagine being on a team. You know, I don't know, but I don't know back then. But I know when I was playing Sioux Falls, probably like three affiliations. So yeah, yeah, we did. So yeah. for people that don't know how that works, when they say affiliations, means like the team that they can send players to. So if you're on a team with multiple affiliations, you know each team can send out basically two two players. So they can send out a player almost every every game, every week, whatever, there's always somebody basically coming down, which means less playing time for you, less opportunity, less, you know, a little everything. And, and it also means, you know, they're less focused on the players they have on team because there's three different teams they're worried about. And it could be rough. <laughs> I was like, it's, it's a lot better from what I'm hearing, but it's. They came a long way now. Like they got yeah. the two way contracts and it's totally different from when I, I was there, probably for sure when you was there, since we wasn't there at the same time. 
But yeah, it, like I said, if I was in the D, G, G League now, I probably would weigh my options a little bit more differently because most teams have only one direct, maybe yeah. two at the most. So you, yeah. you everybody's starting to get their own. They're starting to do it the right way. You know, it should be run kind of like the uh, baseball minor league system is run. I think they do that the right way and they actually pay their players, you know, so that they don't have to look for other options all the time and worry about, you know, paying after the season. Because I remember after the season, luckily I played in Europe before I came back and then did the D League. So I had some money already sitting. And but if I didn't and then waiting come to the end of the season and looking like, man, like that that'd be a rough off season because you don't have you don't you just don't get enough to to even like save or hold on to like it was just enough for groceries for the month like it was i because you know i don't know if you was there they had three different scales so i had the the a yep. scale which was same. the highest but it wasn't that much obviously same. but it was yeah, i had to it say was, so it was just enough for groceries and like you said i didn't lose no money but i didn't make no money and you after two no years money. of the NBA, i was like no i'm not I'm, i refuse to lose any more money right now like that was my mindset so i respect people who can grind through it but i know i know for me i was like i can't keep doing that i knew dudes who stayed down there for five to eight years it was i i don't know why after so many years you have to just come to the realization it might be a dream of yours and you can be determined that's all fine and all but if you got a family you're, you're getting older not younger you better make your money man see the world there's, there's no there's no there's no problem with saying, you know, I played overseas for these many years or I didn't make it. Like, it's, 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 we're still doing something 2% of the world wish they could do. That's how you got to look at it. And not That's to it. mention, especially these days, you know, it's, it's it's just as easy almost to come from Europe to get back to the league because there's so many scouts and so many eyes on the top leagues these days. So it's like it's not, if anything, it, it's almost just as good of an option, if not better So as in some situations for sure. Um I mean, I know that's why I think that's why a big reason is they did put a lot of pressure on the G League because Europe was coming up more and more exposure wise into the league and stuff. So the G League had to make some some changes because people were like, if I'm not getting paid, I can just go over here, do your thing for a couple of years, come back in the summer, you know, take a take a shot then. But like I said, like I know I know some guys, I'm not going to name names who played eight, nine years, got nothing to show for, it, but then try to come to Europe at the end. It's like, man, it's over. Like. The you know after eight nine years they're not looking at you like nope. like they would have if you would have came over earlier and you know so you're gonna start from the bottom and you know you don't got so many years to start from the bottom again you know so it's yeah it's, so you wanna, so funny story now so you, you play with David Moss of course the people out there David Moss he Moss he's been for just as long as me maybe even longer won, won a couple championships in Siena very good players hard worker you know intangible the two guy oldest. Italian, not Italians, I know, bro. <laughs> so after my G League, after my D League uh, season, I played summer league on the Portland Trailblazers, and that was the last time I did summer league. But David Moss was on my team, and David Moss and me kind of go back in high school. I didn't realize it, but he played on the team with Eddie Curry, and Tyson and Eddie Curry in high school was the the, the matchup, like. We played. We went to St. Louis and played their team. So thinking back, I played against David in high school because he was on Eddie Curry's team. So I didn't know that at the time. But we we keep connecting at different points of our lives. So back to the summer league. So we were on summer league together. I'm starting on the summer league team, and I kind of remember Dave, but I don't. You know, he's a light skinned dude. All light skinned dudes look like more like. And uh, he didn't, no, no, he was he was just growing them out, but he didn't have them no. 
And so I, I played a lot of minutes. I started, you know, I, I had a good, I had a decent summer league, nothing special, but he didn't really play at all. And so it's funny at that age, I'm like, oh, I don't know who you are. I don't remember you in the league or you was in Europe or Italy, whatever, blah, blah, blah. After the summer league, Portland was like, no, we're not going, you know, we don't, we, good luck, but we're not interested. So I told my agent, he was like, hey, I got to deal with you for you in Italy. And he like, literally, I'm at the airport about to leave summer league. He's like, I got to deal with you in Italy. I'm like, dang, man, give me like a week at least. He's like, nah, they want to know now. And I was like, all right, cool. What's the team? And it was a small town called Tetamo. It's near Rome, like an hour away. And so I was like, you know what? All right, fine. I'll go there. So I, I signed with that team. When I get there, I learned David was on that team the season before. And they had a good year that year. They went to the semifinals. They finished like top three in the league. So I think the coaches and staff, because they were there in the summer league. So they were there and they saw that I was playing over David and starting over David. So I think that's the reason why they signed me to Tedemo because I was their player the year before and he had a good year with them and everything. So I think that that helped me go to that team and bring me to Italy because of David. I appreciate it, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that till like literally a year ago. I started thinking about it because I'm working on a memoir about my career in Italy. And yeah, I honestly believe that's what happened. Hey, y'all go away. Hey, the basketball world, the one thing I did learn about the basketball world, especially overseas, is how small it is. And like every team I go to, I might not know that person directly, but I know somebody who knows that person like directly. Mm-hmm. And like there's literally like what the Kevin Bacon was six degrees separation. Basketball is probably one degree of separation. Like honestly, especially once you get to these levels that we've been playing at, it's like everybody kind of knows knows of or knows somebody that knows, you know, that person. And you know, you never know when you're gonna run into or link up to like the connection you make is crazy yeah, you have, it's just the longer you play no matter if you're training playing or coaching the basketball world does become smaller I had a couple teammates last two years that were like first year out of college and when I go back to my school in the summertime I speak to my college my you know my my college team and my teammates now guys they played against in college so it's like wow I'm not playing y'all but a dude you played at against a New Mexico or Santa Clara or whatever, he's my teammate now. So I, I let them know, like, I'm not that much older because you could easily be my teammate in a year or two. So don't trip. Don't trip. Yeah, don't. <laughs> yeah man. It, it's crazy. Like, looking back, like, man, man, I know all these people are just, you know, you bump into them around the way you run into them. And, like, I think that's probably one of the biggest things that come out of basketball is just the connection you can make and just how far that can take you if you use it the right way. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I honestly don't think a lot of guys use it to their advantage because maybe they feel like they don't need to or maybe they don't know how to do it the right way or maybe they see it as them you know, sucking up or, you know, I don't know. Everybody has their own reasons, but you have to take advantage of this this, this brotherhood, this network system, because regardless of whatever you do after you're done hooping, if it's not connected to basketball, these people you meet know somebody who they might know can introduce you to help you or whatever. If you ain't got a good character or a good relationship with them, they're not going to help you. They're not going to refer you. And unless you got money already or a family to put you through whatever you need to get through, you you know, you struggle after who? Yeah. Uh, I think the biggest thing, a lot of people ask me, like, what's this, what separates people from who played for as many years, you know, as you have and how many I've had and how people have had, like, basically lengthy, successful careers versus people that, you know, just as talented, maybe even a little more, but just, you know, don't work out. Don't, you know, get one, two years and then you just don't hear from them for a while, which happens a lot because there's a lot of people I just look back like, man, what happened to such and such? You know, 
But I think what I found over the years is definitely um, attitude for one. You know, you don't want to in basketball world how small it is. You don't want to get a bad reputation because once you get that bad reputation, it's going to follow you everywhere. And people are going to be talking about you that you don't think you have any type of connections to. But the word gets around so quickly and, you know, it's a business and people aren't. And one thing I've learned, especially in basketball, especially people in the organizations, they have no problem bad mouthing, you know, somebody that they think is a bad person who has a bad attitude, bad reputation. And they also on the flip side, they also have no problem, you know, praising somebody or bigging up somebody and, you know, giving you that extra push or bump you need to get to wherever you need to go. They don't care. You're in their country. They basically know, like, you might not come back anyways. It's not like you can come back and tell people your side of the story. They care about their livelihood, their job. So, I, and my first couple of years were like that in Italy, actually, because I was a young guy still. I didn't know the game here until I finally realized and then people knew my reputation there's nothing the coach can say about me now because everybody knows me from a teammate, from the agents, from the gym. So it's now, but when you're a young guy, they don't, they, they, if, even if you do something right or wrong, they don't care about ruining your reputation because it saves their, it saves their job. Right. And you know, it could be like any, any one little small thing. It could be like something that you don't think is think twice about, but to them, they think like, Oh, this is the worst thing you could have done. Like come back. Like you hear it down. I guess having me like a hair down the line, like, Oh, I heard that about you. I was like, bro, that was like the smallest non-issue situation, you know, ever. And then, but all of a sudden, you hear it like a year or two down the line from somebody that in another country, a different club. Like, like what? I'm like, okay. So definitely got to be conscious about stuff like that. I'm, I'm, I, you, you, got, you live or you learn, and if you don't learn from your experiences, is the reason why I'm still playing. It ain't because I'm the most athletic and the smartest IQ. It's just because. People, when they think of me, they know what I do. They know that I'm a good guy. I'm not a disruptor. I'm not a cancer. And I, I do my job. I'm ultimate professional. So I'm sure you've got a lot of horror stories throughout the years, mm-hmm. doing clubs and without naming any names or, yeah. you know, giving away anything. Can you, can you give us some, some, some experiences you've had? have those many compared to most guys who played overseas luckily I've only had one team screw me out of money and I'm not going to say their name but I got most of it at the end because I went to bad and I was able to get my money or reach a, a, a agreement before they went bankrupt now I'm going to say is we both were on that team together and I actually <laughs> told I told you you can't say I told you hey man you better, better get that thing going I'm telling you right now this is not looking good for them uh, but, uh, they still, I'm like, we you guys, you search them, but they definitely owe, uh, <laughs> not just me, but yeah, pretty yeah. much everybody on that team. They're they're know. back in A2, so, I mean, maybe it's, it's still plausible. I don't know how that works. If a team disappears and then reappear, does it still count on the books or not? You know better well, than you, I don't know, but I do know uh, a friend went there recently, and I Told them against it. Don't do it. I told a couple guys. So that's so that's funny you say that. So now I'm at the point in my career where sometimes guys, some I know, some I don't know, they might hit me up and say, "Hey, how was the team? How was the coach? Did they pay on time?" And I, I mean, like I said, I'm a pretty fair guy. I tell them the pros and the cons, and then at the end of the day, you still have to decide, you know, on your own. And I see some guys who didn't sign there, and then some guys who still signed there, and then they got screwed. So. 
you know, when you go overseas, it's, it's very smart to see who played there, regardless if you know them or not, and ask them because coaches and agents, they do that to you. So you have to do the same thing to them. Ask other guys who played there and try to get as much information. And that's not question just number one now. Hey, do they pay? Yeah. <laughs> do they pay on time? Yeah. So that's that's the that's the only one time I got screwed out of money. But I've been screwed in other ways, meaning like benched or tried to get cut or blaming me for something I'm not responsible for. Or I didn't do. Right. I think that that's, happens on any team, no matter that's if you're yeah. America that's or, Europe. In yeah. NBA, that's everywhere. That's that's basic stuff. But I think specifically when it comes to Europe, you know, you can make some good money, but then you also, you know, you can also have a lot of issues dealing with money and, you know, just because stuff does not work the way we think it works over here, you know, like contract wise. And in some countries, I'm not going to name specifically, but it definitely feels like it's more of an option, like an optional thing than it is like, you know, we agree to this. It's ironclad. If once you're out your country, you're you're in a, you're dealing with their rules, their leverage. There's not a strong players union like there is in America when you're actually in your own country, and that's even for the local guys in your, within their own country in Europe. Like they don't even have the strongest uh, union. So yeah, that's worse, actually. They, yeah, they definitely need to improve that. I don't know when or how long it will take, but because teams and agents are going to take advantage of it as long as they can. They, they I mean, they they take advantage of it now. Think. FIBA doesn't enough. Yeah. Because FIBA covers too much. It, it covers other too many countries. Like, they're not big enough, I think. Now, I, I haven't did research, but I'm just assuming because there's a lot of countries with pro hoop around the world. I don't think right. FIBA is big enough where they can deal with everything in a timely fashion and make sure everybody's taken care of. So, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe once uh, I'm playing, for sure. There definitely needs to be some better solutions and and needs to work a little bit more like soccer does, you know, because it just keeps growing. The sport keeps growing, and to not have those type of protections is only going to hurt it. More, keep Europe from really getting to that next level. That's the for me. That's honestly the number one reason why it's not bigger than it is already. You know, is stuff like that. And like you said, we played on a certain team together, and a lot of stories from that year, man. To me, that was the most dysfunctional team I've ever been on <laughs> in Italy, y'all. I was, was doing pretty of, good for a while, Dario, before I met up with you and your your little knucklehead. <laughs> I, I had a, despite the thing, I had a good year. <laughs> despite all that, I had a good like per, like professionally, I had a I had a really so, good year. People out there, we finished second to last or third to third to last. We was we, we had to wait to our last game to make sure we didn't go down. Basically, right. like teams in all the divisions, either you go down or go up. It depends on how and right. we were the bottom teams that year. We had a lot of talent on that team. It was just... Yeah. You know, but we know that don't mean shit nowadays. Issues left and right and all types of craziness. Like, the, all right, the year before I was in Capo, Capo de Orlando, you know, my lineup was me, Brad Burgess from VCU, uh, Dominique Archie from South Carolina, uh, Johnny Flynn, Austin Freeman from Georgetown, you know, John Luca Basile, people that don't know, he's an absolute legend and Italy and Europe, uh, you know, just a lot. We had a lot of very high high level players on a very small team, and some of the stories I've had from there like just kept us from reaching the potential that we could have. Because that was that was probably the most eye opening year I've ever been through as a professional. Like, okay, this is 
Yeah, yeah you got to approach things a little differently here because you yeah. never know what can happen from week to week. Like it, it's crazy, man. And also, it's about leadership, man. You have you got to have leadership. One guy from the locals to be a leader, and you have got to have a guy from the imports or the Americans to be a leader. Because you, you can have all the talent in the world, but if you ain't got somebody to bring it all together and have all the guys listen to, then everybody's gonna try to do what they want when they want. And if you don't have a strict, firm coach to keep them aligned, which we didn't, he was more of a player's coach. And guys, yeah, I, love it. I love him though, bro. I, I ain't gonna lie. Like I like I like him a lot, man. Yeah, it didn't work for that team overall. Yeah, I, I, he needs a different different situation. I don't think much was gonna work in that situation, anyways. To be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Obviously, I did, I, I did slap a guy in practice once. That's that's <laughs> one. That's once. The, that's once we knew the season was over with, and it was just yeah, a lot of frustration. Did, was it you slap him or did he slap you? I can't. No, I can't I quite. Oh, no, no. I can't. You remember? Right there. <laughs> don't do that. Don't fake news <laughs> now. Don't Donald Trump me, bro. Oh no. <laughs> I, I have to put the baby powder. Good yeah. time. You know it's bad when dudes are slapping dudes. You know that's not a winning team when that happens. Oh, man. It was crazy year. Crazy year. Uh, two crazy years back-to-back, uh, both in Italy. So, you know, you go see, figure. That year, right? Didn't you leave? Or you, you had one more year before you left? For what? After Concerta. You, you left Italy after that. France. With France. Yeah. After that. Guaranteed money. Pay on time. Professional. You know. Yeah. Things that clubs don't always have, but you know, it is. Um, so, you know, playing playing overseas basketball, it's people think it's like, oh, you're busy all the time. But honestly, no, you have a lot of a lot of downtime in between practices and games, and especially if you're not playing like a, in a European competition, like in Euro Cup or you know Champions League or or Euro League, you have. Quite honestly, a lot of free time on your hands, especially if you're not married or have your family with you. So, you know, a lot of guys spend that time playing video games, watching TV show, movies, whatever. But I think that, you know, that time could be definitely used more productively. And I know you are somebody who does more than just basketball and you've done a few few projects on your own on the side. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my first couple of years overseas, I played a lot of video games. I watched a lot of movies, TV shows. And like you said, you have a lot of free time, but you don't have free time to kind of travel and do what you want. Our schedule is put up to where we have free time, but not multiple days to leave and do stuff. We have free time within the day to stay home. (laughs) So it's kind of misleading. But like I said, my first two years when I was still adjusting to Europe or Italy, I would play a bunch of video games and all that. But then after a while, people kept asking me the same stuff. How is it? Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I'm an introvert, so I don't like talking to too many people per day and especially having to say the same thing over and over again. And I got my degree in writing in college. So I quickly came up with the idea to start a a blog to where people, if you want to know what I'm doing, go to my blog. And after you read it, if we talk, you can ask better questions because you already got the gist of what's been going on from month to month or whatever, whenever I post. And then after a year or two, I got bored with that. And I was like, you know, I want to up the ante because that's that's how life is. You got to keep evolving. You got to keep staying creative. So I was like, all right, I want to start making videos instead of writing because then writing got boring. 
because it takes a lot of time, of course. So does video producing and editing, don't get me wrong, but it was a new challenge. It was a new thing I wanted to learn. And being overseas, you have a you have nine months out of the country. And I learned every time I went somewhere overseas, I wanted to learn a new skill, no matter if it was video editing or how to download certain apps or read books on something or watch a couple of videos from, from experts or motivational. Like I wanted to learn a new skill or a new mindset. So when I came back home for the summer, I applied it, I networked with people and I kept hopefully branding myself or whatever. But, but until like five years ago, I said, okay, I want to make a documentary. And when I was in Rome, I made a documentary with my boy, Will Harris, a great editor. He actually has a YouTube channel called Nanny of a Fighter, very successful channel now. Gets about a million views per episode, MMA content. And he came to, I flew him out to Rome. We did a documentary. I interviewed nine Americans, women, men. They shared the trials and tribulations, the good, the bad, why they came, everything. Because I, I have my story, but I wanted to bring as many stories together to show a better overall story. And it was a learning experience. I loved it. Yeah. It was hard. Yeah. I spent a lot of money. Now I know how to do it smartly, budget better. But it was something that I needed to do to understand if that was the next step in my storytelling that I wanted to do to get people to respect what I do. Because you can do one thing and people are ah, you did it, okay. But you got to keep new things coming out over yeah. and over again. So that's what I've been doing. Now I got YouTube. I got another documentary I'm working on about my high school program in Dominguez. And I do my travels with my daughter. We post up that daughter stuff and my solo travels. So couple things, but we'll talk about Will Harris. So for people that don't know, like you said, he does Anatomy of Fighter. Um, I think what I actually didn't realize that he was the one who, who helped you with that that video, but I figured out later once I saw the Anatomy of, the, of a Fighter and then he I believe he also was on like the Joe Rogan podcast, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, he has a crazy story, too, about how he kind of started getting into his his side of things. But yeah. I think he's most famous for the Khabib anatomy of a fighter could be the Magomedov, uh, one of the top UFC fighters right now out there in I forget the country, but he did a, a great anatomy of a fighter on him. I think that's really what, I think that was his biggest one to date probably because it kind of showed a different side of somebody who you don't really get to see in a whole different culture in a way and whatnot. So kind of how did you guys like link up and start that yeah. whole process? So, like I said, when I had the idea, I didn't have a camera. I didn't know how to edit yet. And so for me, I wanted to make the best documentary possible. So I didn't want to use this great idea and learn how to edit and put that into the picture because it would look crap. It would look horrible. I wanted mm -hmm. to find somebody who had a good camera, who knew how to edit so I can express to them my vision. And Will, he used to be a hooper. One of my former teammates from UW, Justin Dittman, him and Will are from the same town, Carbondale, Illinois. So Justin Dimmon had a thing on YouTube called Hunger for More. And when I looked at it as I was doing research for editors, it was a it was it was good. It was good visually. It was edited well. So I said, Justin, who who I know you didn't do this. You ain't that smart. Who uh who did this video for you, guy? And he was like, Man, it was my boy uh Will. So he sent me his information. I looked him up. I was like, hey, well, I got this idea. I know you're Hooper, I, you have the mindset of a Hooper, so I want. I thought he was perfect for it because I wanted somebody who was familiar with sports already. And I had a couple extra flight uh, round trip tickets because sometimes when you sign with teams, you get round trip tickets on your contract. Mm -hmm. So when I was in Rome, hey, I had a couple. That, hey, hey. 
What? No? Uh, Give away trade secrets. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm like telling people I got nothing. I got nothing for them. You know what I'm saying? Some people don't got those and in their contract. I don't get those in my contract, right? <laughs> so I told him the idea. And at that time, he was doing weddings. Like his 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 hustle was doing weddings. He was going, he was getting hired, flying across the country doing weddings. That was his hustle. Like after he got done hooping, he tried to act and thing for a while. And then that didn't work. So he bought him a camera. He's like, you know what? I'm going to visualize stuff. So at that time, he was still he was hustling, doing weddings. And so then he came. We did the we did my doc the following summer. We spent four days in Seattle at my condo. And that's when I first learned about editing. He's like, I'm coming there for four days. We're going to edit this and we're going to put it in. It's going to be done. I'm like, all right, whatever. Literally for four days, like eight hours a day. I'm just looking at him, watching him edit. He's asking me stuff and I'm telling him stuff. And that was my first time actually putting together. Uh, a story visually, video wise, video format wise, and it was time consuming. But when it was done, it's like, like having a baby. It's like you look at it like, wow, I created that, and that's going to live on forever. And when I did that, I knew, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be doing storytelling. It's just a matter of on what platform, what kind of stories involving who, who I don't know. But I fell in love with it, and then Will he started taking off doing stuff in Florida with other fighters, and then. He thought of anatomy of a fighter, and now, some so many years later, like you said, the Joe Rogan, he's very well known. His footage is used on other ESPN and stuff. And yep. now that I'm older, it's weird because I'm like, I guess that's how relationships grow. Because we see people who's older than us that's famous, who are friends with other famous people or other successful people. But at the beginning, they both were just grinding, and they both yep. kept working hard. And maybe one put the other one on, or they both got put on at the time. So now I look. Okay, I remember when we did our stuff together before all this, and it's about life experiences. Yeah, I think one thing I've noticed is especially like motivated kind of people like that, they always kind of find a way to like attract to each other and kind of that's why you see them kind of ghosts going up at the same time. You have that connection because you guys understand that that passion that kind of drives to like to do what you're doing and to keep doing what you're doing because a lot of people that will do stuff like you said and just do it one time and then that's it. But that's not that's not that's just the starting point. Like yeah. you have to keep doing it over and over and over. And it's that repetition that really makes you exceptional at something. You know, not this one thing that you learn as a as an athlete specifically, as a basketball player, um, that I apply specifically to like being to more creative endeavors, is that it's the repetition and it's the practice of doing something. Like, yeah, you might be trash at it now, but if you keep doing it, if you look at where where you started, you know, a couple of years ago to like where you are now and see that that progress. And it's it, it's crazy. And it's just those little those little steps of keep doing it over and over and over again. Like even if you don't maybe get the response you want, but you just keep doing it. It's just going to keep getting better over time. And yeah. I think that's something that a lot of people get. When I bought a camera, I asked him, I was like, hey, what's a good camera to start off with? He sent me a link, of a couple of different cameras. And three years ago, I bought my first camera. The next thing I was like, what's the next edit? What's editing software do you use? He told me what editing software. I started using it once in a while, practicing. But it was horrible to begin. Like, I would just start off editing my own highlight tapes so I can get the confidence and add my music. And then once I got the hang of that, I was like, okay, let me start doing because I would pay other editors to do my YouTube videos. But after a while, I got tired of paying money. And it would come out good, but not with the vision that I saw it with, the notes I sent them. So I was like, you know what, man? Just go ahead and start editing, bro. You know you want to do it. So I finally like started pushing myself to edit more, but it all started because of Will, because I he was he was already so far ahead of me in that game, and I wanted to be like him. I saw him not as competition, but I saw him as a person that I wanted to do what he was doing. Maybe yeah. not 
MMA stuff, but in my own lane. And like you said, that's what having people in different careers, but you all have, you can keep inspiring each other and bounce ideas off of each other. And we were supposed to do a short film here in, uh, here in Rome with my daughter when she was supposed to come during her spring break. It's going to be like a dad-daughter short film in Rome on vacation. It's going to be scripted. Like, that was going to be the next step for me because I want to take the next step. But, but then all this stuff went down. So maybe next year, though. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, I have a similar story, basically, with, you know, LLF Living My Fearless, you know, as you see. Um, we started out as a blog for college, basically. It was personal branding. I've said this multiple times. It was personal branding kind of uh, course, and we had to do a blog. And like you, like, I I didn't want to just keep talking about myself, you know, that, that for me, that just gets old and boring and, and whatnot. So I, I started reaching out and looking at what other people are doing, you know, cause that's, that's really what pushes me and drives me is, is seeing what other people that I consider like dope people and, and inspiring people to see that they're continuing to push and it don't even have to be in the same area. And like you said, don't, I don't even look at them as competition, but it's like, okay, that's a goal. Like that's a measure. Like, if they keep going, I definitely had to keep going. Like, and then we're going to see where, where everything is at the end. And that's kind of like, I basically taught myself how to code. I taught myself how to, you know, design, design wise on web and stuff like that and apps and, you know, and where it started at was very, very rough. And like, yeah, to like up to this point now. Yeah. Like a lot of people stop at that point though. Uh, yeah. every, a lot of people stop at that point because it's like, man, this is some shit. Because I remember looking back, like at the time, I'm like, damn, this is dope. Like I did this myself. Like, oh, this is hard. It's like, proud. yeah, for sure. It's my doc. I think it's still the amazing doc ever. But if I look back now at it, it's an hour and twenty nine minutes. If I look at, it, I'm like, man, that's way too long. I need to cut. I need to make it fifty minutes. But at that time, I wanted to keep everything. I didn't know nothing about cutting stuff off. Like I, it was two hours, and we was like. Hey, man, that's too long. Ain't nobody going to watch this shit. I don't care how good of it is. Ain't nobody spending two hours watching this. So yeah. we cut to one thirty. He's like, man, we got to cut it down more. I was like, no, man, we ain't cutting down no more. I, like, I was stubborn. But now looking back, he was right. I needed to cut it down more. But I was like, I got all these stories, these funny stories. I want to, But as an editor, I didn't know yet because I was just telling him what to do. But now that I'm editing, I'm like, as I made my last video, it was 20 minutes. I'm like, man, I got to cut it down. But it was hard. But you got to do it. But I didn't know any, so it just takes repetition for you to learn these things. So, done froze. Eat all that, like. Yeah, that was a cool idea, but it's not necessary. And you kind of, like you said, as you go to year, you go find you, you become more refined and you really understand what like the essential parts are and, and like start stripping, stripping stuff back, highlighting certain things and, you know, and getting it to the point where it's like looking real professional and stuff. And it's just a whole process. And like I said, a lot of people, they stop at that, that first point because they don't think they, they're good at something. And the fact is nobody's good at anything when they first start out, <laughs> like nobody. But it's that that point where you can keep pushing through it and just put like and keep getting better, even just incrementally. Mm-hmm. And then you get to a point where it's like, damn, now you now people looking at you like, you know, like you real expert at that stuff. And they, you know, they, they're like, man, that's real professional. And I'm like, really? And hey, but it's like you see. Yeah. When I look at it, I'm like, man, that's two pixels off. That's that should be moved over here. Like, I was just like, nah, I, I can do better and I keep over and over again. It's like a drug almost. Mm-hmm. Just you know, I think athletes really understand that because 
to get to that level, a high level, you have to be really love something, really be like almost addicted to it, to keep doing the same thing day in and day out over and over and over again to just see incremental changes because when you learn something new, especially like basketball, is like you're not going to just automatically be good at it, but it's those baby steps that add up throughout, throughout the time and something I think I've applied. And I think more athletes, if they took that and used it into different areas, yeah. you can see even crazier things. That's why I like to see athletes who do stuff outside of basketball that doesn't just involve, you know, video games or TV and stuff like it's because they did they accomplished so much to be a basketball player, which is a great. But we all know you can't play basketball forever. Right. So yeah, a lot of them think I'll deal with it once that time happens. And that's the last way that's the last thing last way you want to think about it. No, you want to start while you're still popular, while you're still playing, while these people still care about you. Cause once you stop playing, just naturally people stop caring. It's just it's just how it is as an athlete. Like once you're done, I don't, even if you make millions of dollars, people stop caring. If, if, even if NBA player like you're not NBA player no more, you might but that mental like people aren't paying attention to me. I'm not being interviewed. It's real. It's real. Yeah. And I I had a brief, very short realization of that two years ago after my uh, I finished in Italy in Mantua in the second division. We finished like in ninth place. And I had a couple selfish teammates. We didn't really achieve what we thought. We had a really good team. But come summer, my agent, Italian agent, was like, I ain't got nothing for you. I was like, what? What you mean? And he was like, I ain't, they ain't no teams interested. And I was like, word? So then, because, you know, around July, everybody's like, yeah, when you leaving? Where are you going? Yeah. And I was just like, man, I, I'm still waiting. And so then it hit me like, wow, these motherfuckers really try to, they trying to end me. Like I tried, it's, it's like, unceremonious, bro. Like, and so I waited all September. I told I even I, and then dawned on me. I was like, man, this might be it. So I told my daughter, I said, like, hey, baby, you see, I'm still here, right? Because normally I leave at the end of August, and I was there for the first day of school, and I'm back in L.A. And my grandma didn't realize it. She, it was like September, October. She was like, are you going back? I was like, grandma, this is September 20th. I, I will be going by. She's like, you right? Wow. And then literally like a week later. My agent called me and he was like, hey, I got a team. The season starts literally in two days. So I missed all preseason. He's like, I got a team. They want to get rid of this guy. And, and I was like, nah, I'm good. I said, I'm going to wait till January because that's like the point where teams try, try to change their roster. And he was like, man, if you don't take this, I doubt somebody's going to take you. But as an agent, you know, that's his job to convince me to take the damn offer. And it worked. So then I, I went back and now people forgot about that. Like two years ago, yeah. now it's like that ain't never happened. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I said, it's very much as much as you love basketball, it don't always love you back the same way that you, you know, you love it, especially, you know, it comes to the business side of things. So I always say if you're going to do something, do it now, like start doing it now, especially like like you said, like you can make as much money as you want. But when you're done, like all that money coming in is is dry. Now you got to find something else. Like now you just spending money that's just, you know, a stockpile. Like you just see it going down. But if you spend and you spend the money now and the time now and build something now, at least you got something still coming in while you're doing it, you know, on top of it. So like you, you want to start now, you don't want to try to start doing this you know, at the end of your career and be like, damn, now what I'm going to do, you know? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I think like I said, like, like Kobe passing was like, I wasn't, I wasn't the biggest Kobe fan until like later on in his career when he really started showing that kind of other side to him mm-hmm. that he has all this other stuff doing. And like, I think if anything comes out of it, like I hope like his situation specifically like inspires more athletes to do that 
to have that second act, to have that other side of you. Like it's okay to to have as much as he loved basketball, he still had other passions, you know, and still translated that into other things. And hopefully that inspires other people to because I think as athletes, we can do more. Like we can do more. We have a bigger impact than we are right now, for sure. You know, I mean, I, I bought a condo five years ago and my financial advisor told me, he was like, man, you need to buy something, bro. Like you spend in 2,000 $2, $2, a month Rent. in the summer. Renting. Yeah. And I'm, I'm living in these nice places for two, three months and then come back to Italy. Cause you know, obviously we don't pay for rent when we're in, when we're in another country, but he was like, man, just, we need to buy a place. So finally I bought a place. It wasn't like the place where I'm going to live the rest of my life, but it was a, it was a rental property. And it's five years later, I've had tenants paying my, my mortgage, my, my house note. And I, and now my house is worth $50,000 more than I bought it. Right. And every month somebody's paying that off. So I already made 50,000 and then somebody's every month basically counseling out all my, so I was like, man, why didn't I do this my second, third year? Cause I had NBA money still. So I was like, why didn't I do that my first, second, third year out? I could have like three rental properties. And having yeah. people every three years buying a new place, having somebody rent it out. So by the time I'm done hooping, I could have four rental properties and I ain't spent nothing because I'm living overseas and that's balancing out everything else. But it's no, it's, it's never too late. I did it and I can nope. do it again. But that's one overseas. You got to take advantage of those little loopholes we have. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. Nah, I started myself a few years back, you know, got my own place and, and you know, my sister's other than AZ, so it's a little different. Like in the wintertime when we're gone, it's vacation time. So I don't I don't even do full-time rentals. I just do part-time vacation rentals and in three, four months I pay my whole mortgage for the year, you know. And and like you said, my house is already up seventy, seventy thousand from when I bought it, you know, and not that long ago. And it's like, okay. Why are people, you know, more people need to be kind of putting this out there, that knowledge out there, because people don't really have that knowledge about what to do now. Like once you like, yeah, you get money, but you can do so much more. That's on that, you know, definitely. And it's um, not flashy, that's all. But when it comes to getting a loan or starting a new business and now you can show that you've been paying off this house for five, seven years, oh, the yeah. banks care about it's that. Easy. I care about it's what the bank that. I don't care about what social media thinks. Social media ain't giving me no loans to start a business or open up a line of credit because they want to see that you've been paying on something year in, year out, that you're consistent. So like I said, I didn't realize that at the beginning either, but the sooner you do, the better you are. You are and that's one That's one thing I would definitely would suggest to any overseas hooper. Save like 20, 30 up, pay, drop the first payment down on that, get a place and rent it out. And yep. then when you're done hooping, sell it and then use that money you made to buy your house. Put the yep. down payment on the house. Like now you're good. So that's that's one tip for sure. I would I would tell all my overseas hoopers, young guys, invest for that, man. Mm. After one, two summers where you splash, you travel, you do what you do. After that first, second summer, you start spending saving it up to buy something. Yep, so buy something big and not just, you know, bags and belts and shoes and you know, buy something that can can hold you down, especially through times like this. Um, I can do a whole podcast on some of that, but <laughs> for real. But now, you know, we gotta get to the main subject. One of the main subjects, you know, you're you're in uh, you're in Italy, and you've been you've been out there all year, and well, not all year, but you've been out there a good portion of the year so far, and you've been, and you know, you right there in the middle of. of of the brunt of it was going on with coronavirus, COVID-19, and the whole world's kind of going crazy. Yeah. Um, 
Well, and, you know, you kind of you saying definitely in Europe. It's, Italy is the epicenter of yep. it's spreading around Europe. Each country, each continent has their different starting point. But here in Europe, it started off in Italy. At least that's when we know. That's who was testing first, I guess. But since then, we've been on lockdown. Today marks the third week. Tomorrow will start the fourth week. And a lot of Americans went home. A lot of Americans stayed. And I decided to stay because, for one, the team I'm on here in Verona, very professional team. They pay on time. And as long as they pay, I'm staying. That's my saying. So I know a lot of guys who are on teams where they're probably not getting not paid. Bad. So, yeah, and I get why they would dip because there's no, there's no point. And as I was telling you earlier before we started recording, Everything back in the States is just beginning with more testing and understanding the numbers. And so for me, I have my daughter in Seattle, but she's okay. She's well. I have my dad. He's 65, 64. He's a little older, but he smokes cigarettes. And for 40, 45 years, his lungs are depleted. So if I go back, I will go back staying with him. And I don't know if I have it, if I don't. If I Once I go back there in route, I might catch it. And if, yeah. if he catches it, it's a wrap for him. So... For me, I, I thought it was just best to stay here, wait it out. And while I'm waiting, I got the idea to make a video documenting mm-hmm. first week. And I'm going to keep documenting. But the first video I put out uh, generated a lot of good buzz. A lot of people saw it, gave me great feedback, went on a couple radio shows so far. And uh, I'm just going to ride this momentum. It gave me great confidence because, like I said, I love editing, but I got a lot of footage from Italy, Japan, where I haven't put out just because I'm lazy or... Like I said, I'm, I'm an introvert. I don't like putting my life out too much. But after this video I put out, documenting the first week, it gave me more reassurance that I should keep doing it, be funny, insert music, some, uh, some very good audio clips of experts, doctors, people talking about the situation because it's going on all around the world. So it connects all of us. So that was a great uh, video that I made to give people a glimpse of what's going on here and what can happen where you, wherever you're at in the world. Yeah, so I, I I watched your video. You know, yeah, it was all right, bro. Yeah, <laughs> it was all right. What was uh, your, keep you humble, what motherfucker. Was uh, you know, honestly, you know, I I watched your previous videos, but did you edit this one yourself? Yeah, I sure. All right, so so I was I was you know I was pleasantly surprised, man. Your your editing, like I said, has definitely improved. You know. <laughs> You did, you know, all the cuts, all the little sound sound choices were were were, were uh, prime choices. You know, all the little little inserts here and there. Like it, it really looks like a very professional edited thing. Like I was pleasantly surprised by it. And then, you know, it's dope to it's dope to see it's dope to see you that progress. Like I can see that progress from when you know you that's first started. I, that's that's the main thing that people are scared to do because. As athletes, our coaches, they get on us when we do something bad and when we do something good. So regardless, they're going to say something to you. So you might as well just play your game, do what you got to do. So when I made this video, I was like, man, is people, am I, should, I, should it be funny? Should it be serious? Do I want to? Because I had some more jokes where I, I was like, am I going to make people mad? Like I couldn't. But after so many days, I was able to balance it out and make the video, like I said, a little bit of everything so people can understand it's funny, it's serious, but it's real. This is what's really going on. And the music choice, everything was, yeah, I, I was I was happy with the result. When I saw it, you know, everybody think they make good stuff, but then once I saw it, I was like, man, this should be good. This is it. This is, is it. <laughs> I, 
I was like, this should be good. They don't like this one, then, man. I don't know what I can. I don't know what else I can do. I was just like, I was like, hold up. Uh, you know, I think it was a great, you know, mix, like you said, of of more serious attention to what is going on in the country because a lot of people don't actually know what that looks like in Italy, like what you know how daily life is, how how it's being handled over there. You just hear stories, you just hear news, but you don't really get a firsthand perspective from it. I think that's a, such a dope thing to do to know, to instinctively know as a storyteller, like I need to capture this. This is a moment, you know, like I got to show this to what's going on. And then the way you mixed, you know, the levity with the seriousness to kind of break things up in the show, that's not all doom and gloom because if you look at the news these days, it's all doom and gloom basically, but you know, there's different sides to it and the, and the way you captured it all and put it into, you know, one, one package was, I was impressed. Uh, you know, my first thought I was seeing, I was like, man, he ain't edited this shit. I wanted to hate out. You know what I'm saying? I wanted to text you. Like, I, I was like, I know you ain't edited this shit, bro. Like, Everybody <laughs> asked me, they was like, did you edit this? And I was like, yep. I, before I, I put yep, and I looked at it before I hit reply, I'm like, yeah, they about to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to put that in by me, but I didn't want to rub it in. So I was like, you want to put edited? But you want to put edited by Bobby Jones, written by Bobby Jones, directed by Bobby Jones. Uh, maybe, maybe, the second video, maybe the second one. But no, I, I, I did it. I, once I talked to people, I let them know. But yeah, it was it was me. It was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, honestly, it was probably one of the best looks inside Italy I've, I've, I've seen so far on the Internet, for sure. Like and to see it from that perspective is is yeah. something that I think would definitely be interested in. Definitely should more people should see. I watched a lot of videos to get audio to just form my own opinion. Because, like I said, when, when this first started, I didn't think it was going to get to this point. And, I, okay. and I'm American. So I'm like, OK, if I thought this and I'm American in Italy, imagine American in America that's not even here. So I said, this is a great opportunity for me because I was naive, too. I didn't I didn't realize it. Like I said, this is not a, a disease where if you catch it, you will die. But this is a disease where it's very contagious to where it spreads very fast. And I, right. I, I did research about SARS and other the, the swine flu and Ebola. Like all those are more serious than this disease. But, but it wasn't as extremely contagious. contagious. Yeah, it wasn't as contagious. So this one was more contagious where it's not. So that's why I, I had to learn and listen to experts and doctors and not journalists. And then once I, but I wanted to use some journalist footage to show a lot of people get their information from journalists, from news, and their job is just to scare folks, not to re- help you. Sensationalize, or, yeah. Yeah. So, and that's why I wanted to use news stuff, stuff from experts, stuff from doctors, stuff from very just smart people from p- different podcasts, and just put it all together because that's what's about getting information from everywhere so you can come to one conclusion. A lot of people just get their information from the one from the source that fit their opinion. Right. And they use that to like, this is what's going on. Look, see, yeah, this we can find something to, to, to support our opinion anywhere nowadays. Like, right. If you look at when it first broke out, if you looked at Fox News and you look at, say, CNN, the coverage could be like night and day between, you know, what it is. Fox News might say it's a hoax and this is just a common cold. And, you know, CNN might say, you know, this is a, the black plague coming along, you know, Spanish flu. Um, so I, I did like that. I did catch that. I did like how you put in elements from all perspectives and all kind of, you know, voices. And so people can actually formulate their own opinion because that's what you need to have, like a good opinion. That's for me, like in this internet age, that's the biggest 
the greatest thing is that everybody has their own voice and thought, and the worst thing is that everybody has their own voice and thought. You know what I'm saying? So it's like it's a double edged sword. Like, yeah, it's great that information is all out there, but it's bad because people aren't necessarily taking in all the information and forming a real opinion about stuff. And, and you know, uh, I've heard some terrible opinion, like terrible takes on the situation in Italy, like, oh, the healthcare system bad or that uh, this will happen. like, no, the healthcare system in Italy is actually one of the best in the world. The problem in, with coronavirus that people understand is that, like you said, it's not that you catch it and you die. It's that if so many people get at the same time, it doesn't matter how good your healthcare system is, it's going to overwhelm what you have and what your resources are. And that's why Italy is so hard, hard hit is that it just overwhelmed so fast in so many people that the, the system could not handle the, the influx of, you know, people that needed help and assistance. Yeah. And, you know, it's crazy, like, because I was just in Milan, you know, I was at your game, actually, like maybe two weeks before this really like started to, to pop up there. And like, just how quickly it went from that, from nothing, like the week, I got there. It was like, oh, it's nothing. They might check your temperature when you come, but there's no restrictions. And then, like, literally, like a week and a half later, they like shut down like Milan. And like, I was like, damn, like, that was fast. Like, it, it happened. And the sad part about all this, like, I learned that the disease was discovered. The strand was discovered in December. And yeah. once that was public information, because we all heard about it in December. I remember hearing about it. Every country should have started testing for it in January. There was no excuse. I don't think no country took it serious yet. We was hearing it because it was a joke. It was this. We, we just didn't, we didn't realize it because, like I said, with technology. And so all the countries lost at least a month, a month and a half of testing people to understand it better. But then it was too late. And then it just, it, 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 it took its own, it's a disease. Yeah, you once it got into a while, it was too loose. Yeah, it was and, too in much, America, too America is the greatest country in the world for sure, but that doesn't mean it's perfect. And the fact that they had to wait to see what other countries did to make a decision on their own country shows that they, our healthcare system is flawed. While yeah. in Italy where you, you don't have to pay for health insurance because it's just part of the daily living, you're able to collect as much information as possible because people aren't hesitating to want to go to the doctor because they're worried about having to pay money. Pay $1,500 for a test, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. So in a moment of crisis, people aren't thinking about that. They're just doing it. They're reacting so the government can get as much information so they can make a decision. And that's what they did. But America saw what another country did, and then they reacted off them. One of the strongest countries in the world reacted off to a country that's the size of a state compared to America. That says yeah, my, my biggest issue with the way we handled it over here was that uh, we had, like you said, we had months lead time to prepare for it and like we didn't do anything like we didn't do what we were supposed to be doing. Like we saw it coming from China, like you said, back in December, almost like we have time to really prepare for this. And that, and it's, there's no problem with being over prepared for something. You'd rather be over prepared than, than be caught with the pants down like we were. So it's just, that's probably the most frustrating part is that we, if anything, we had the, the best chance to like yeah. be prepared for it because we saw it coming. Everybody saw it coming. Like, and, and yeah, maybe it didn't actually travel. Maybe maybe it didn't actually, you know, spread to the countries. Okay, but what hurt? Like you spent some money, you became prepared, and you had people ready for for what could, for the worst situation. Not just oh, now this is the worst situation. Now let's try to ramp up. You know, like no, nah, we should have been. We should have been ramped up. What I tell people because I think it's a natural thing as humans. We don't worry about it until it's at your doorstep. Like 
I, I, I thought about this concept. So let's say we lived on the, the same block and the house that is across the street from you to the left is on fire. Now you're across the street, your house is across the street. So you're seeing that house on fire and you're like, all right, the house is on fire, but my house ain't gonna catch on fire. And then let's say the house next to it catches on fire because they have trees in the backyard. So it goes to the trees and goes to the next house. Now that house is on fire. And now the house, that house is right across from you. You're looking like, well, it's still across the street. Now let's say the telephone pole or another tree in the front yard catches on fire. And then that tree falls across the street and lands on your house. Now your house is on fire. Now you want to react. Where you had a chance to react when you saw those houses across the street. But you're thinking, because you see it's not literally by you. No, that's not how you, like, you don't know what's going to happen. We're, humans are so naive and we think that until it happens or we feel invincible and it backfired on us this way. But hopefully we learn from it. That's that's the silver lining of it all. Like, this isn't yeah. so... There's a lot of bad things to, to this. Obviously, people dying, you know, businesses losing money, businesses going under, people getting fired, people losing their job. Like, there's a lot of negative impacts to this. But there's also a silver lining is that to me that I think hopefully this changes people's mindset and re- people realize just how fragile like our systems are and like how our world that we live in really is and like how we take things so for granted that this will always be the way it is when look what happened it wasn't even it didn't take much for shit to like collapse like it really did not take much at all and how unprepared we were and how unsustainable the way we were living and the way, you know, certain systems are going really is. And like now it's always on a knife edge. And I don't know what you, but I don't want to always live on that edge, like praying and hoping something like this never happens again. When we know historically it will happen again. And it's just not, it's a matter of when, not if. And like I said, if anything, I hopefully this changes people's mindsets going forward about, you know, how systems and how our, our system is set up and how, things need to change like because the way we are right now is just not sustainable and not not good for us and and the the other part about it america is one of the richest countries in the world so the way we deal with it people can still go home and sit in their house and watch tv do whatever there's a poor countries who are slums where they don't have separation ain't no stay at home (laughs) where they're they're all screwed so like i said there's still First world problems, and then there's everybody else. Like America still has it bad, but it's still not as bad as other countries. So, like, oh my God, I gotta stay at home with all my food and TV and air conditioning. And like, you know, it's like, all right, bro. Like, yeah, it's nice that you can't go out and do what you want to do, but at the same time, it's like you could have it so much worse. And that's something I always kind of try to try to keep in mind when I'm going through shit like this. Yeah, and so I guess like I, I hope people can learn from this and. We can change a lot of government uh, laws, healthcare laws, because lives is more important than the market. Like right. our, our values, our priorities. And of course, you know, they can say, oh, you got more money than me. So that's why you're saying that. And that could partially be, be true. But overall, lives are more important than than, than making money. Because if you don't take care of your wealth and other people next to you, we're all going to fall as, as, as a country, as a society, because... China is about to become the most powerful country in the world now because they know they're, they, you know, it's not a great country, but they have communism. They got a dictator. People do what he says. And now with the American market falling, China's already recovering. And who knows what's going to happen in the next couple of years? Like it's self-discipline. We got to we got to be for each other. If not, then we're all going to fall together. 
Yeah, and people are gonna blame people are gonna blame you know the virus for any fallout that possibly would come from that. But to me, it's, the virus is just a small part of it, and more of a symptom than than the main problem. The main problem was the way it was set up and the way we were operating and running. That if it if if the way we're running and operating, if your way you're operating can go and collapse as easily as it did, and bring you to the point that you, you're worried about getting to by one by one instance, then that was not a good system. That was not a good setup. Like, period. Like, like if my car can only run, you know, 99% of the time and, like, if these conditions are met all the time, but then that one condition that maybe one out of a million happens, then yeah. all of a sudden it's done. Like, that's not a good, then, like, all states to go out the window, then you... You know your 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 airbags stop your seatbelts or you know what I'm saying like shit like that like that's not I'm not gonna get in the car <laughs> I'm not gonna get into that system I'm not gonna take that chance and like that's kind of the what we've been operating on it and if anything it just shows how vulnerable like I said it was and just how 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 things need to change and hopefully hopefully things do change if anything like anytime there's a big situation like this it brings a lot of opportunity for change and a t- tough change change that people didn't want to make. But that you have no choice but to make now. So, yeah, change happens usually after the fact, not because somebody has a great idea and everybody rolls. But it usually happens when something tragic happens, and now it's like, okay, we need to find a way not to let this happen again. No matter right. what is war, slavery, uh, diseases, education, technology. Usually, you have to take a step back before you take the next two steps forward. So, hopefully, like I said, we learn from it. I know I learned from it being in Italy and just overall, because I've been a pretty open-minded guy. Like I wouldn't be able to live in another country this long if I wasn't, but I still have a long ways to go. But I know there's people who's way further back than me. And so we all got to do it together. If not, we're all going to fall together. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so you, you did that one, one, uh, what's the, what's the title of it again? Um, Documentary. Yeah. First one. It's called Basketball Jones, The Overseas Journey. You can okay. find it on video.com backslash Basketball Jones. And then you just dropped this first week look at Italy throughout the coronavirus yeah, crisis. It's on my YouTube channel, Bobby Ray Jones Jr. And it's called uh, COVID-19, Italy, my first seven days under lockdown. And yeah, it's on my YouTube channel. So you have any plans for the future? Gonna yeah. do another one of these? I'm, I'm gonna keep it going, man. I can't be a one hit wonder. So I'm already working, cause I've just been documenting. Like I said, when I made this video, I didn't know exactly how it was gonna be, what format, the message. I was just, I was learning as I was going, just like we are doing life. And now with the second video, of course, I don't want it to resemble the first. I want it to be totally different. I don't know what it's gonna be, but I feel good. I'm just going to let my creativity, the energy, you know, take over. But I'm definitely going to do another video, maybe summarizing week two and week three. It won't be no law and order, dun dun noise. It's going to be totally different. Like I don't even want them to expect. I want to. I want to keep surprising them and letting them know. Okay, this all right. He might. He, he's doing something. So I want to use this time to, like I say, people are paying attention, and you know, I want to show that I know how to storytell. I know how to edit. I know good music. I know about information. You know, I'm 36. I, I lived a good life so far. So I'm excited for the next video. Thank. We'll definitely be checking for that. Um, 
probably I'll probably do some posts about about this last video you, you dropped and you know push it out to our crowd. And you know if anything like I said for it like nice to see you you're using this opportunity you know to this this time this as an opportunity to like really develop you know something that you love and to really continue to push yourself and create stuff because a lot of people are not using this op- this time like people are just looking at this as as you know a time to spend no this is a time to to keep growing to keep developing to keep doing that stuff that you didn't have time to just slow down and do like this is the best time to do it now like learn that something that you need to learn start that start that endeavor that you always want to start that you felt like you never had time this is the time this is the opportunity people should be making the most of it like i'm just as busy, if not busier than I was before all this happened. Like, and I, I think that's how people need to approach the situation. Like, this is not time. This is not a sentence. This is an opportunity for you to slow down and really do the other things in your life that you felt like you never had the time to do. Yeah, I mean, you kind of talked about what my second video is going to be about. Uh, I'm going to show because I live in a complex where there's a, a small park, there's a basketball court. I'm going to kind of give a tour of how it looks because I'm lucky compared to other people where I can actually run around. I can lay down with a picnic, make food. A lot of people just have their balcony. So yep. I'm going to kind of show that aspect and, you know, some uh, some more important videos, updates of what's going on around here. But, yeah, basically the videos is going to be about use this time alone to become better, to work on good habits, to understand the, what, what, what are you really doing? Are you really happy? Do you really want to do this job? So, this is kind of going to be the premise of the second video a little bit with some Dope. jokes or yeah. some funny stuff. Definitely be checking that out. Uh, thank you, man, for, for joining me on this podcast. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Again, this is the Fearless Show. Today's date was March 29th, 2020. This will go out sometime a little later this week. And yeah, uh, as always, you know, guys, keep living life fearless. Check out Bobby on all his stuff. We will have it in the descriptions. Definitely check out his last videos. Very well done. And, you know, use this time wisely. Yes, people. Yep. Thank you guys for listening. Catch you guys soon. Peace.